Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. It's a privilege to worship with you this wonderful Sabbath day and to celebrate with you the baptism of Sid. Truly, it is a day of rejoicing, not only here, but up in heaven. Amen? Because scripture says that the angels rejoice and heaven rejoices with us today. So if the heavens would be parted and we could glimpse into heaven right now, the angels are rejoicing with us. And so it's a privilege to worship with you again. You know, um, being a youth person and, and doing youth ministries is such a joy to see youth and young adult involved in the church. And so if you've seen me taking pictures, it's because it's number one, rare, and number two, fills my heart with joy. To see them on the organ, the piano, leading music, scripture reading. You know, we're getting older, but the church ought to stay young. Amen? Amen. And so it's just joy to see that. So whoever arranges that and does that, you're doing fantastic. Keep the youth involved and keep them learning, growing, and giving them the keys of leadership. Because they're not the church of the future, they're the church of today. Amen? All right, if we say you're the church of the future, the church may not be there in the future for them. We may mess it all up. All right, so today I'd like to just spend a few moments with you from Philippians chapter 1. And the question, why? Why is it that I'm a Christian? That's a good question. I mean, Sid is getting baptized And so it's a great way for us who have chosen to be baptized to realign our faith and ask ourselves, why are we Christians? For Sid to start off with this focus on his mind, why am I choosing to be baptized? And for those who are not baptized yet, to put it on your radar screen, why should I be baptized? The question, why? We're going to look at Philippians 1, and if you don't mind, let's just go there, and I'll read it one time, just to get the Word of God immersed in our minds, and then we'll have prayer and get into the Word of God. Does that sound okay? All right, Philippians chapter 1. These are the General Electric Power Companies of the Bible, GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You find one of them, you should find them all. But here's Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, uh, actually verse 12, Philippians 1, verse 12, and I'll be reading from the New King Jimmy. It says here, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, says Paul, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, 
that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There are two things I want you to remember today. If you forget everything about today's uh, event here at church, if you forget everything, remember two things. Sid's decision to give his heart to Jesus, remember that. And number two, for me to live is Christ. If you take away just those two things, you've been enriched, and you've found the reason of why you've been at church today. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, what a privilege even now for us to open your word. What a privilege for us to be here today, to worship you, to sing praises to you, and to give you our hearts in response to your great sacrifice and love through Jesus Christ. And even at this moment, Father, as we spend a few moments immersing in Philippians 1, pour out your Spirit. Speak to us through your Word. Challenge us and encourage us. Comfort us and yet at the same time, nudge us to be more faithful, to be more Christ-like. And we ask, Father, that Christ may be uplifted before us and that we may be drawn to Him. Lord, I pray may not be my words, but your words. Be my strength and my redeemer. May my thoughts, my meditations be acceptable in your sight, Lord. For you are truly my rock. And it is my desire to uplift you. Be uplifted and draw us to you. By the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. I just had the privilege of finishing up, I would say, the most challenging summer camp in six years, and yet the most rewarding. You know, going into this year, we've talked a lot about whether we ought to have summer camp or not, and I think there are about 57 camps in the North American division, and of those, about 49 of them decided not to have camp this summer. And that left just a handful of us to decide Are we going to go forth, or are we going to not take the risks? And I'll be honest with you that there were some days, on nice sunny days, when I thought, yes, we should definitely have camp. And there were other days when it was rainy and gloomy and dark, where I thought to myself, the risks are too high. We ought not to have camp. And that would have been the easiest choice of all. Don't have summer camp. And so as we looked at the options, we decided to move forward by faith. And I remember one one of our administrations, she is our program director. She's an amazing teacher up at Mayfair School. She said, Pastor Ed, let me tell you, it's at summer camp where the impossible becomes possible. It is at summer camp where we can do anything for Christ. I think we ought to move forward. God will bless us. So the Lord and I had this thing back in May. I said, Lord, if you want us to have camp, you got to give us dry weather for the summer. And so if your grass has been dying and you didn't have rain this summer, you know where it came from. I made a deal with the Lord. And he honored it. Because let me tell you, at summer camp, we were there for six weeks, and we needed to keep everybody outdoors as much as possible. 
And so we had to become very creative. So we had our meals outdoors. We had to keep families in cars for registration. And we had to have worship outdoors. And would you know in six weeks, it only rained twice during morning and evening worships. We were able to have worship every single time except twice. One was a family camp and another time during one of those tween or teen camps where we had to say, all right, you're in your cabin for worship. But of all the rest of the times, morning and evening, and you know, become, we become meteorologists at camp. We have to de- decide whether it's going to rain or not. Do we put kids in the canoes? Do we put them on the horses? Do we set up for banquet? And there were multiple times when there was this storm system coming right at Camp Mohaven, and it literally split in two and rained around us and came back again and left a rainbow for us at one banquet. Where let me to say, God is for us. You know, it didn't start out easy, and it wasn't easy. It was very challenging, and yet God gave us the victory every single day. And we as staff recognize this, and we praised him for it, because we came together and we prayed, Lord, you got to help us this summer. Because if the word gets out that there's COVID at summer camp, that's bad news for the kingdom's sake. And so we wanted God's name to be glorified, not to be put in shame. And he came through. He gets our the glory. But there's a picture I want to show you that wraps up well of why we do what we do at summer camp. And we actually had a discussion about that. Right there is one of our great counselors. His name is Charles Ames. He is our canoe director and our, uh, one of our lifeguards, an amazing counselor. He grew up going to Camp Mohaven, and so our best counselors are those who were great campers. But you'll find that this young man, Charles, is one that uh, not only loves nature but loves Jesus. And there's a camper during junior camp who just was really needing love. I mean, he, in his life, you know, kids come to camp from all sorts of, uh, of life. They either come from uh, social workers with no parents. They either come from great families. They come from broken families. Camp Mohaven is a safe haven where they are loved and cared for and where they see Jesus through nature, counselors, and everywhere they turn. And so here's this young man. It was on Friday. As you can see, Jesus is praying in the background. That's Julio. We were going to have the passion play showing the love of Jesus through the sacrifice of Jesus. And this young man, I was sitting back there actually, and I didn't have my phone, so I asked the nurse, take the picture. So she took the picture from an angle. But here's this young man sitting in his pew, and he sees his counselor, and he moves over on the pew... And then he puts his arm around his counselor because, see, he's starving for love. He's starving for love. And what does Charles do? He embraces him and says, you are loved in Jesus. That's what, why we do what we do. That's why we take the risks why we take. During staff week, we sat down and said, this is going to be a hard summer. Everything from the beginning that could go wrong, went wrong, and it had nothing to do with COVID. I mean, from day one on Sunday when staff came in, 
we got the word that we're not going to be able to do our first aid CPR training like we usually planned because of COVID. The person said, we're not coming in. You have to do most of it online, and then I'll come in for a few hours, social distance. So I don't know how you teach CPR social distance. You beat the guy. I don't know, whatever. But, you know, it put us in a pickle because if you ever tried to use the Internet at Camp Mohaven, it's like dial-up in the 90s. And to get, like, 12 people through a large course, it made us think, what are we going to do? But the Lord got us through it. That's what he does. We had to move our staff around five times because of different challenges that we didn't plan on. And then when we came to the staff week's Friday evening agape meal, it was nicely put out, decorated for our staff. We dressed up in our nice clothes, and a tornado warning came. And our manager said, get to your shelters, a tornado has been spotted. And I thought, that really tells us what we're in for this summer. Somebody's not happy. And that's a good thing. God is for us. So we sat down during staff week, and we decided to do a little exercise. Why are we at camp? Why are we at camp as a staff? And I got that idea from a book. You know, I'm a reader. I love books. I read a book a week, and mainly biographies, leadership books, youth books. My favorites are commentaries. But I love reading. I immerse myself in books. And I read a couple of leadership books on finding your why. It's not a Christian book per se. It's a leadership book. Actually, two books. Uh, uh, and, and so it's by Simon Sinek, Find Your Why and Start With Why. And he makes a very important point that I think help, is helpful for us how we live as Christians. He, he talks about organizations and he talks about individuals. And he says people and organizations that live out of their why not only succeed, find a purpose, but accomplish much more and find more joy in life. And so he brought up a couple of examples for it. I'm not sure how many of you have heard of Samuel Langley. Anybody here have heard of Samuel Langley? Of course you haven't. Have you heard of the Wright brothers? How many of you heard of the? All right. Did you know that Samuel Langley and the Wright brothers at the same time tried to become the first pilots? The first time. And, and Samuel Langley was this very smart inventor who was surrounded by the greatest minds in D.C., received $50,000 donation in order to get the first airplane out of the ground. I mean, you're talking about the greatest minds, money, everything that he needed to become the first pilot. And at the same time, there are these two brothers in a bicycle shop. We're trying to accomplish the same thing. And Langley failed where they succeeded. Why? Because Langley came from it from the position of what I get out of it. I get fame. I get prestige. I get money. What drove him is the success of what he gets. The Wright brothers, what drove them is why. Why would flight be important to humanity because it will solve a lot of our problems and the joy of getting to places. And so they went from a why. And so when Langley went into the problem, he got frustrated because he was missing his what. When they ran into a problem, they were thinking, the reason we're in this is bigger than us. And so 
the reason I bring that up is because you could be working at summer camp for the wrong reason. Or you could be there for the right reason. And challenges will come up. Answer, why am I here? If your answer is about yourself, it will be a miserable summer. If the answer is greater than you, you'll have an amazing summer. And so we sat down and we talked about it. And these are the three reasons that we chose of why we are at summer camp during COVID when everybody else decided to close down. Here are the reasons. Number one, to grow closer to God. The reason I'm here as an employee this summer is because I choose to come closer to God. And I choose to come closer to God because of these reasons. One of them is so that I can share Christ more effectively. If I'm not close to Christ, how am I going to bring others close to Christ? And the second reason was to impact the lives of campers. There are days when you're up 16 hours and what you want to do is go to bed. And there's a, a challenge that comes up. There's a needy camper. That's the time when you realize, why am I at camp? Is it about me, or is it to impact the life of that camper? And therefore, I'm going to make better decisions because I'm there to impact lives. And then the third thing is to bond. You know, Jesus prayed about unity, did he not? He wanted us to be united. And so one of our reasons of being at camp is for us as a team to bond closer together in Jesus. I think we accomplished all three, and the reason we accomplished all three is because every time we had a challenge, we came back to our why. We came back to our why. Now, we're not the only ones that came to that. I think Paul lived out of his why. And I believe that he recognized that there were Christians who did not live out of their whys. And I believe that Paul was one who not only lived out of his why, but every time he ran into a challenge, he went back to his why. So let's go back now and give a little context to Philippians chapter 1. The context of Philippians 1 is actually Acts 16. If you want to go there, you could. You don't have to. But in Acts 16, you remember that Paul has this dream of a man from Macedonia saying, come here, right? And so, you know, Philippi is in Macedonia. And so he ends up going to Philippi, and there he goes down by the river, and there are some women worshiping, and there's this lady called Lydia, right? And, and she accepts the gospel message and becomes a Christian. And then you'll find that as Paul is walking through Philippi, there's this slave girl that's following him around, and it's getting a bit annoying of her repetitious words. And so what he does is he casts the demon out of the slave girl, and it makes the master of the slave girl really angry and puts Paul and Silas into prison. You remember the story. And what do Paul and Silas do in prison? Are they discouraged? Are they angry? Are they frustrated? No, he understands his why, and so he could sing hymn number 251 out of the hymnal. All right? He lives. So, so this is a young man that lived out of his why, and even in prison, he's praising, he's praising God. And so there is this earthquake, of course, and he's let out, and the Philippian jailer and his whole family become Christians. Now you have a church. 
You have Lydia and her family. Maybe the slave girl is there. I don't know. We'll find out in heaven. But the Philippian jailer, you have a small church now. And so Paul is writing to this small church later on when he was in prison again. So let's pick up the story here and look at it more closely in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What was Paul's purpose in life? The spreading of the gospel. That was his only goal in life. Now you may think, well, that's a simple matter. No, it's not, dear friends. No, it's not. He had a different purpose in life earlier. You remember he had a different purpose in life? His purpose in life was to stop the gospel. Yes. It was the exact opposite. Yes. You know, the way I think about it, imagine the shock of Paul in his conversion as he's knocked off his horse if he was on one, and the Lord appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? And he says, who are you? Jesus. And he's like, what? I thought you were dead. I'm trying to kill your followers. Imagine the shock. It's a horrible shock. You know, I grew up in Cleveland, and I'm a Browns fan. It'd be almost like someone who's a Browns fan all their life and have their man cave all in, in, in orange and brown, and they're driving an orange car, and everything about them cries, I'm a Browns fan, and then they meet someone from Pittsburgh. (laughs) And the special someone buys him a sweatshirt that's gold and black. It's something like that, only much, much greater. It's like switching teams. And the one thing the Lord tells Ananias, you keep a finger here, but I thought this was interesting in Acts. Uh, let's go back to Acts. I believe it's Acts chapter 9. Paul's, Paul's conversion story. Look at verse 15 and 16. This is interesting. He says here, But the Lord said to him, Go, talking to Ananias, For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. See, God tells Ananias what will become Paul's purpose. The advance of the gospel to the Gentiles, to kings and to the children of Israel. Now notice verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I always thought that was strange. When Jesus calls us to follow him, Sid, he never promises an easy life. It's not a prosperity gospel. It's not a gospel that if you follow me, I will open the seas and give you the smooth path all the way to the kingdom. That is not the call of Jesus. When he calls, he calls us to a life of humility, service, and yes, even suffering, and yet it's still the best life. It's the best life. And so Paul understood that when he chooses to live by the purpose of advancing the gospel, is going to be a life of suffering. And so he's in prison. He's writing to the Philippians. And there are three clear messages that come through in Philippians from prison. Rejoice. 
over and over again, rejoice. Number two, humility. Stay humble. Philippians 2 is about humility. And faith. Faith. Keep trusting in God. He who has begun a good work in you will finish it. Faith. Faith. God has begun a good work. He'll finish it. Have faith. Don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus. Have faith. But let me just go back to that moment of furthering the gospel. Paul says, I'm in prison, but that's okay. The gospel is spreading. Number one, I think as Christians, we get really, really distracted today with so many other messages and other little ramps that we get off the idea of advancing the gospel. We get caught up in whether it's conspiracy theories or something that's not the gospel. You know, 10 miles on the straight and narrow gives you 20 miles of ditches. And the devil doesn't care if you're on the ditch of another gospel or on the ditch of something other than the gospel. As long as you're not furthering the gospel. And so what the Lord calls us to do is to advance the gospel. We get off on these tangents to try to talk about, and now we're in this COVID, and some of us get really into this idea of mask or no mask. I say, who cares? Advance the gospel. That's our message. It is about Jesus Christ and the gospel. Who's going to be the next president? Who cares? Jesus is king. Advance the gospel. We get off his intentions. Well, if so-and-so becomes president. Listen, friends, what the Christians went through in the first century and the second century, the challenges they went through to, 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 to spread the gospel, for me to be here and whine about this and that sounds silly. Silly. Because they did so much to advance the gospel. And I can't get into an air-conditioned car to advance the gospel. Now let me add this one last caveat according to Revelation 14. It says there that an angel came with the everlasting gospel, right? And it says there what? Turn with me there, Revelation 14. You got to see this because this I think is very important for us to remember because Paul ran into this in Galatians 1 and 2 with another gospel. Did he not? Look at this in Revelation 14 real quickly. I'm going to try to be quick here. Revelation 14, watch this. Verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So what's the purpose of this angel? It's to advance the gospel. Where? Everywhere. And what is part of the gospel message according to verse 7? Saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the, uh, and the uh, seas of what? So here's what's part of the gospel. Sometimes we rob the gospel of its power when we take away the whole package. Because the gospel is the whole package of the good news from beginning to end. The gospel is not only Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the center of the gospel. 
but part of the gospel is the fact that there was a good creation, there's a fall, there's a sanctuary message, there's God's will revealed in the commandments and His character, right? I mean, is judgment part of the gospel message? Is the sanctuary part of the gospel message? Is the Sabbath part of the gospel message, according to Revelation 14, 7? Yes. And do we rob the gospel when we say, well, that's not part of the gospel. The gospel is just the center. When we advance the gospel, let's advance the whole gospel. And share the good news of the judgment. Because according to Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 7, the judgment is in favor of God's people. That's great news. So go back now and look at Philippians chapter 1. And notice we see that all Paul cared about is the gospel. And dear friends, I pray as Christians we post, tweet, talk about the gospel. Leave the other things aside, friends. Who cares what may happen tomorrow and may not happen tomorrow? Advance the gospel. Who cares if I die? The gospel needs to go forward. Our message is not about me making it to the second coming. It's not about me escaping the world. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. And often our message is about us. How we can know. Self needs to be crucified. It's not about my convenience. It's not about my liberty. It's not about my rights. I gave up all that when I accepted Jesus. It's about his rights. It's about his character. It's about his glory. It's about the advancement of his gospel. You know, if there was a corrupt nation, it was the nation Paul lived under. Nero was one of the most corrupt emperors ever. And what did he care about? Advancing the gospel. Now look at verse 15, back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. Some indeed, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. Verse 16, the former preach Christ from what? Selfish ambition. Let me ask you, can I preach Christ for all the wrong reasons? I can pick on myself all day. Yes, I can. When it becomes about me, when it becomes about, did I get more views online than the guy who preached last week there before me? It becomes about who? Me. Now, I I can pick on myself. It's okay. I have plenty of things to pick on. Jesus is still working on me. But can you be a Christian for the wrong reasons? Can I pick on you there? Not only can we preach out of selfish ambitions, but look at Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Who is he talking to now? The believers. There are those who preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Listen, Philippians, don't be a Christian out of selfish ambition. Can I be a Christian for the wrong reason? Can I be going to church for the wrong reasons? Can I be singing songs for the wrong reasons? 
it becomes about me. Do I have the keys of the church? Who am I in the church? Do I sit on the board? Why was I not invited to sit on the board? You know, it, the, the questions are endless when it becomes about who? Me. And Paul doesn't get into this. He says, there are those who preach Christ just to try to get under my skin. And what I say is, who cares? Christ is preached. I don't care. You try to get under my skin, you can't. Why? I'm dead. Christ lives in me. You can't insult a dead person. They're not going to respond. You can't kick them. They're not going to kick you bad. If you are dead in Christ, you cannot be insulted. Christ lives. And so do you notice that Paul recognizes that there are those who are Christians not for the right reason, not because of their why, but because of their what. And now in closing, Paul gets to the why of being a Christian. Are you ready for this? Here it is. Verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Here's Paul's reason. He doesn't say, for me to preach is Christ, for me to travel is Christ, for me to be a missionary is Christ. He says, for me to be alive is Christ. His whole reason of living is who? Jesus. Every morning that Paul woke up, I believe he said, why am I alive today? For Jesus. And every time he goes to bed at night, Why did I work today? For Jesus. Why did I live today? For Jesus. I think that should be the why of every single Christian. Whether you receive bad news, or you go through suffering or challenges, we have to remind ourselves, for me to live is Christ. That's it, Sid. It's that simple. For to me to live is Christ. We ought to come back to that daily. I was reading some commentaries on Philippians just to get, you know, some greater meaning because there are some people out there that are much smarter than me. And they put it down like this. I like the way Todd still puts it in the Smith and Helwes Bible commentary. Watch this. This now famous phrase, talking about Philippians 1.21. This now famous phrase is so aptly, succinctly, and rhythmically put, literally, to live Christ and to die again, one wonders whether these words were consistently on his mind and frequently on his lips. The way it's written here, this theologian says, you can wonder this one phrase for me to live as Christ was consistently on his mind. That's all Paul thought about. That's all he said. What did he say to the Corinthians? I came among you not knowing anything else other than... Christ and him crucified. You know, he tells the Corinthians, I've been beaten with rods three times. I've been pelted with stones. I've been through three shipwrecks. I've been through uh, beatings and whips. I've been in danger from bandits and from the Jews and from the Gentiles. And I could see Paul sharing all these and experiencing all these. And every time Paul went through them, 
I could see Paul telling himself, for me to live is Christ. As he is pelted with stones, for me to live is Christ. As he's in another shipwreck, for me to live is Christ. As he is shivering by the cold of the night, for me to live is Christ. As he has no meals and he's hungry because he is sharing Christ, he says, for me to live is Christ. As Christians, it's not about what's going to happen tomorrow, the next conspiracy theory, it's that whatever, do I wear a mask, should I not wear, for me to live is Christ. That should be the reason of us being Christians. And the advancement of the gospel should be our just cause. It was Paul's. Everything for him was Jesus. He once said, I consider everything rubbish just to have Jesus. For Paul, take everything away and I'm still joyful. Take my house away. Take my cars away. Take my career away. Take my health away. As long as I have Jesus, I have everything. But if Jesus is not in my life, I lost everything. For Paul, Jesus was the beginning of his life because when Jesus came into his heart, life began all new. For Paul, Jesus was the continuation of his life because he journeyed with Jesus. He didn't just start with Jesus and continue with something else. For Paul, Jesus was his inspiration. For Paul, Jesus was his strength. For Paul, he received his task from Jesus. And for Paul, Jesus was the reward. The reward is not that one day I get to live forever. The reward is that I get to be with Jesus. Everything for Paul was about Jesus. And I think as Christians, we need to realign our lives daily. What is my message? Is it Jesus? What am I advancing? Is it the gospel? We could be Christians and miss our why. Or we, could be, or we could be Christians and live out of our why. For me to live is Jesus. That's my challenge for you and I. Can I, in closing, share one last text from Jesus himself of what it means to live for Jesus? Can I do that? It's out of Matthew. Notice this, Matthew. I believe it's 16, but let me go there. Matthew 16, verse 24. I I don't want to leave you half-baked here of understanding what it means to live for Christ. There are three things you and I need to remember. If we're going to live for Christ, if for me to live is Christ, there are three things we have to live by. Three things. And it comes from the words of Jesus himself. Here it is, Matthew Chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me. See, that, that's it right there. For me to live as Christ. If anyone desires. Here's the three things. Number one, let him deny himself. Yeah. Number two, take up his cross. And number three, follow me. Yeah. If I'm going to live by the why for me to live as Christ, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to deny myself things that even are rightfully for me. 
If it's to advance the gospel, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to deny myself in things of this world that are for my harm, or it may be even for my good, but it will not advance the gospel. Number two, I'm going to take up the cross. You know, that saying means nothing for you and me today, but in Jesus' time, there were literally people daily who picked up a cross and walked in front of them. And when they picked up the cross and walked, they were not going to Giant Eagle. They were not going to the Great Northern Mall. And they were not going down to the zoo. When they picked up a cross, they were heading to a spot where they were going to die a shameless death. To pick up my cross and to follow Jesus means I'm going to die to myself. And then Jesus says, follow me. You know, the path that Jesus marks for us not the easiest path. It may go through dark valleys. It may have winds and curves. You may end up in places that you are asking God why he led you there. But what makes it the right path is, number one, Jesus leads. Number two, the destination is the right place. Follow him. Those are the three things. You know, this summer I asked myself often, why do I put myself through the stress of this? I'm there at camp hearing stories of, in Missouri, 91 cases of corona at a summer camp. Reading about another case in Georgia, summer camp, corona spreads. Asking myself, why am I putting myself through this? You know, at camp... Staff and kids get sick. Our immune system goes down because we don't sleep much and we work hard. And so you wonder, is this normal sickness or did someone have COVID? We tested one staff this whole summer and we had to test one camper. Both came back negative. But you can imagine the stress of why, uh, the waiting period. And I came back to this, what Jesus said right here. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according. You know what Jesus tells us? If you're going to try to save your life and make it about you, you're going to lose it. But if you're going to give your life for the advancing of the gospel, not only will you gain your life, but you will be rewarded at the end. And so, my dear friends, during these challenging times we're living in, don't try to save your life. Give it for a greater purpose. Give your life for the advancement of the gospel. Choose to live for Jesus. One last picture to show you. This is the reason why we do camp right there. Usually we have about 400 kids at camp, and the most baptisms we've had at a summer camp was 11. This year, due to COVID, we only had 100, a fourth. And that's okay. There were parents who were nervous to send their kids, and they were, you know, and that's okay. We had eight baptisms. Consider that ratio, eight baptisms. Here's Abby. Abby is one who loves Jesus, 
who wanted to give her heart to Jesus and contacted me even before summer camp and said, I want to give my heart to Jesus at camp. And so we studied together. We prayed together. And would you know, her mom was one of our cooks, so she was there for the full time of camp. And during tween week, we set up the baptism because she was a camper at tween week for her to be baptized. And would you know, Monday night... Abby had a history of seizures in her life. Monday night, around 11.30, I have someone knocking on the door and says, you've got to come down to Oak Lodge. Abby had a seizure. And even though she had a seizure, everything worked out in such a manner that you saw the hand of God. See, the devil was attacking her because of her decision. But God was there. She had the seizure right as the our great ER nurse, they were taking shifts around midnight, was driving in. We were able to get the nurse in that moment. The nurse quickly addressed it, got the, uh, uh, the ambulance to come. It got there within 10 minutes. She was into the ER, and they said all she had was a minor concussion. And would you know that Sabbath, she was able to be baptized. The devil attacked her. But here's what I've learned this summer. The devil will attack, but he can't overcome. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The devil may attack. You will have challenges. It's going to be a life with valleys and mountains. But Jesus is with you. He will carry you through. Trust him. Believe in him. That's the reason we do what we do. To advance the gospel. And that's the reason we're here today also, isn't it? To advance the gospel.